If you have been with us, we are in the book of Jeremiah. Uh, That's a book that a lot of people don't study, but it's a fascinating Old Testament book. The more I learn about this guy, the more... Um, the more he, go, he moves up the ladder in my hierarchy of heroes in the Bible. Uh, and, and he's incredible. He's an incredible character. Uh, we can't go through it verse by verse, so we're kind of taking it in chapter chunks, so to speak. So this morning we're going to look at, at two chapters in, in the book of Jeremiah. Basically, here's what happens. I'll give you a little bit of history. Israel said they wanted a king. God gave them Saul. After Saul came a king by the name of David. After David came a king by the name of Solomon. After Solomon came two kings, Jeroboam and Rehoboam. The kingdom at that time split. So Israel, as we knew it, with 12 tribes, is now split into 10 and 2. 10 tribes to the north were actually called Israel often in the Bible. Those tribes had no good kings. They turned against God very, very quickly um, after Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And there are no good kings ever mentioned in the northern tribe. The southern tribe, Judah, is composed of two. And and, and in those tribes, in those two tribes, Jerusalem is in the southern part of this kingdom now. They're called in the Bible Judah. And Judah has good kings and bad kings. So there's kings that come in and they do everything that's right and try to honor God. And then the next king comes in and turns everybody against God. And the next guy comes in and, and, and they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So what happens is, because there's no one who wants to do right in Israel, they go into captivity very quickly. Judah, on the other hand, struggles. Since they're going back and forth and coming back to God, God's giving them more time. When we come to the book of Jeremiah, we're at the end of the last 40 years, if you will, of the southern kingdom in Judah. In those last 40 years, a prophet comes on the scene by the name of Jeremiah. And Jeremiah comes in and preaches to these people that, If they don't change, God's going to do something incredibly drastic. And this morning, you're going to get a little bit of a taste. If you've seen the series, the Bible TV series that came out, there's a short clip in there about the destruction of Jerusalem. And and although um, I I like the series because they do a lot of great things in that series, uh, the, the section in there about Jerusalem is very, very short. If they had actually stuck true to history... Uh, it would have never been able to even be rated to be on TV. It was that bad. And you're gonna get a, I'm going to give you a little bit of an idea this morning. You'll understand why. But Jeremiah is preaching these people to, to turn, to change, so that God doesn't do what God's going to need to do. And ultimately what happens is Israel or Judah is destroyed. Jerusalem is destroyed. The children of Israel go into captivity. And so here's the Reader's Digest version of the Bible from here on out. The children of Israel are going to go into captivity. Guys by the like Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you're going to have all of those stories. The people are going to be in captivity so long. They're going to plead to God to go back, and God's going to allow them to go back. And then you have books like Ezra and Nehemiah where they come back into the promised land for a little bit. And then, again, they, they end up turning against God, and ultimately then uh, you come to the book of Malachi and, and the life of Christ. So we're in that time frame right now where Jeremiah's trying to get these people to change. Jeremiah's just an average guy, but God said, this is what I want you to do. And so Jeremiah said, okay, God, I'll I'll do that. I I will do that. And um, it literally, literally God asked some pretty incredible things of this guy, and I'm amazed that every time he says yes, okay. So uh, this morning, uh, we're going to go, and and again, in the book of Jeremiah, the thing I love about the book, there's all these really cool illustrations that God uses to make his point. 
So I just finally put a table up here, and this will drive visitors crazy going, what in the world is all that stuff? But it'll be a reminder to those of you who are here of, of the lessons we're learning in Jeremiah, all right? So, you know, and the first one, the first, one, the first lesson we talked about was Jeremiah tried to get him to understand that, look, the idols you have erected are like scarecrows. They can't do anything for you. You have to take them. You have to set them up. You can't, they, can't, they can't even move on their own. And you're trusting in stuff that's like scarecrows. And now we talked a couple of weeks ago about the idea that uh, an old dirty T-shirt, really in the Bible, it was probably underwear, but Jeremiah was told to go out and buy a new piece of, uh, a new T-shirt, so to speak. He goes out and buys a new T-shirt. He says, wear it. Don't wash it. <clears throat> then I want you to go take it, bury it in a cliff of a rock. He buries it in a cliff of a rock, and then he tells him later, go back and get it. Jeremiah goes back and gets it. It looks all nasty and horrible and everything else, and, and God says, put it on. And Jeremiah goes, it's worthless. Nobody can wear this. God said, exactly. That's what, my children, that's what my people have done. They have stained themselves and marred themselves so much, there's not a lot left that I can use, Jeremiah. That's what they've done. That's why it's going to be hard for me to bring them back and not judge them like I need to judge them. But if they'll turn, he says, you know what? I'll make them whiter than snow. I will clean them up. We'll use them again. But the people still don't get the lesson. So last week we talked about the idea of, he said, look, he said, there's the cursed man, the blessed man. The cursed man says, I don't need God. I'm going to do it on my own. I'm going to live life my way. But when difficulties come, when struggles come, he's like a dead bush in the desert. He can't handle it. He doesn't know what to do. He lives in fear. He's scared. His life starts to fall apart. He's done fine until difficulty comes. When difficulty comes, he doesn't know how to handle it. He said, but God rather takes him and he, like a tree, plants him by a river. And that, that tree, when difficulty comes and drought comes, it continues to produce fruit. It can handle those kinds of things. And he says, God wants you to be that kind of person, that kind of tree, that kind of nation. This week, he's going to send Jeremiah to the potter's house. So we're going to start in Jeremiah chapter 18. We're going to look at 18 and 19. Actually, 18, 19, and 20 all go together. Right? This week, we're going to look at 18 and 19, two trips to the potter's house. Next week, we're going to look at chapter 20, how the people respond to Jeremiah's message. And you'll get an idea in a minute of just, just how blatant his message becomes. All right? They really, really don't like this one. So here's what he does. First trip to the potter's house, Jeremiah chapter 18. Here's what it says. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house. There I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house. I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot was, he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hand. So the, former, so the potter formed it in another pot, shaping as it had seemed best to him. The chapter goes on, and he basically says God's the potter, and God has a choice to do what he wants with his nation. All right? But there's a ton of principles in this little story, this first story to the potter's house. Um, one of the things, let me give you a little bit of background. Um, when you think potter's house, don't think like the movie Ghost. All right? It wasn't like that. It was, a, it was a wheel that would turn, and usually there was another wheel that they would spin with their foot. So it, it, it kind of one of those deals, and it would spin, and what they'd do is they'd form pots. Now, in that day, there wasn't like Walmart, Kmart, that kind of place. If you wanted kitchenwares, there wasn't like a kitchen dressing store, you went down to the potter and you got a pot for either boiling stuff, cooking stuff, serving stuff. You, you, you would get that if you needed a little, um, they have little clay pots that they would use for lanterns, and they put oil in, and that's what they'd use to light their house at night. So the potter was a very, very important person in a community. Um, now, let me give you a little more history. What the potter would do is he would make stuff and he would sell it. But as stuff would harden, once in a while it would break. 
And so he would have all these scrap pieces. And in Jerusalem, what they would do is they would go out, and they would go outside the city gate to the garbage dump, and they would throw all of these pieces. In Jerusalem, it was called Hinnon, the Valley of Hinnon, right? And we get our, our word Gehenna from it. Our English word that we get from it is hell. So here's what happened. The Valley of Hinnon sat outside of Jerusalem. Now, this is going to be important when we get to chapter 19. So, so if, if I lose you, just hang on. We'll kind of come back to it. The Valley of Hinnon was a valley that sat outside of Jerusalem. Inside it was a, was, was a little place called, known as Tobeth. We'll see that in a second. There's Tobeth. In that little place, and here's what they used to do. Years ago, Israel had gotten so far from God, one of the gods that they worshipped was called the god Moloch. Moloch, in order to sacrifice to Moloch, in order if you wanted Moloch's attention, and you really wanted to be a true servant of Moloch, you made the ultimate sacrifice. And in that day, the ultimate sacrifice is you took one of your children and you sacrificed them live to be killed in this valley to Moloch. That's what you would do. When Josiah, one of the good kings, came in, he desecrated the thing. He leveled it, and he said, never again. And he turned it into the, into the garbage dump of the town. And so outside of Jerusalem, and it, there is a valley. It's called the Hinnon Valley. The Hinnon Valley is where they did worship Moloch at one time. So what they did was, as kind of a tribute to God of heaven that this was wrong, they turned it into a garbage dump. So what you need to understand is that at the, at, when people would take their garbage out, it wasn't like you set a can outside for them to come and get. You would take your little wheelbarrow of garbage, you would go out and you would dump it. Now, to give you a more accurate picture, by the time we get to the time of Christ, you've got a lot of garbage there. If you remember in Bible times, one of the people who were outcasts from society were lepers. So if you're a leper and you can't live among people, where would you probably live? The garbage dump. So you need to understand that in that time, by the time we get to the time of Christ, that garbage dump is also a borderline leper area that people are living. So think about it for a minute. You're taking your scraps out to throw them at the garbage dump, and what do you find in a garbage dump? You got the birds, so you got all the vultures running around. You've got trash that's being burnt, so you've got burning stuff. You've got lepers who are living, who are screaming in agony. And when you got ready to take your little garbage truck out to dump it, what's a leper going to do? He's going after your garbage. So it's kind of this thing where you dumped as fast as you could and got out of there. No one wanted to be around the Hinnon Valley, Gehenna. I mean, it was a horrible, horrible place. <laughs> That's going to play out in chapter 19. Here, what he does is he sets up Jeremiah, and he says, I want you to go down to Potter's house. I want you to watch the potter. And so Jeremiah goes, the potter's sitting there making this, and the potter gets to a piece of, in the clay that's not molding right. So he kind of smashes it and starts over and starts molding it. And God basically looks at him and says, hey, Jeremiah, listen, that's me. I'm the potter. And the potter can do what he wants with the clay. Make sure you get that, Jeremiah. Make sure you understand, the potter's job is to mold the clay. And when the clay doesn't respond, the potter remakes it. Now, here's what I did this week. I went to Goodwill. 
looking for a piece of handmade pottery that was the ugliest piece of pottery at Goodwill on Thursday. And I know this was ugly because I was like, there's no way. That's real. And it's real. And I know I got a good piece because, first of all, it was only 50 cents. Secondly, when I went to check out, the lady looked at me like, what in the world? I said, I know. Isn't it awesome? (laughs) She said, what are you going to use it for? I said, well, I said, I'm going to use it as a sermon illustration on Sunday. I said, this is like great. And she's looking at me like, and again, I never saw it, but she goes, it looks like a pair of monkey ears. (laughs) And, And I'm looking at it, and then here's the kicker. Guess what? I look at the bottom of it, and there is a name written on the bottom of it, Kelly, K-E-L-L-I. So Kelly, at some point in her life, made this. And Kelly was so proud of this. And Kelly thought this was like the neatest thing in the world. And Kelly probably gave it to somebody. (laughs) And they went, what in the world is that? Oh, it looks like a Goodwill item to me. Uh, But Kelly took a lot of time with this. She may have made it for class, she may have made it, but at some point, Kelly formed this with her hands. In fact, you can feel the bumps inside where you can feel where she squished it with her fingers. It's awesome. And at some point, she painted it. She thought brown would be a good color. And then she thought, I know, I'm going to put little lines on it. And if you look at this thing, it's hilarious. First of all, it's not even square. It goes like this. And then if you look at it this way, it's like thick and then thin and then this. And I have no idea what these are for. I have no clue. Because I don't know anybody that drinks coffee like this. So I don't know what it is. I don't even know if it was a bowl. I don't know. I, I'm not sure what it is. And then Kelly went along, and she went, and she put all these little squiggly lines. And Kelly loved this thing because this is something Kelly made. You know what? I don't care if you like it or if I like it. I paid 50 cents for it. But Kelly was the potter. And Kelly got to choose how she wanted to make it. And Kelly got to choose the color. And she got to choose the design. And if she wanted to put monkey ears on five, all five, all the way around the cup, that was Kelly's choice. Why? Because Kelly's the potter. And Kelly made this. Now, here's what I think is so cool, because here's what I want you to realize. Kelly's fingerprints are all over this thing. Because Kelly was the potter. Now, what God is saying to Jeremiah is, Jeremiah, listen, these are my people. This is my nation. My fingerprints are all over it. And Jeremiah, I have a right to do with it as I want. And in this story, the potter is forming it, and it gets to a spot that won't form. And he says, so the potter smashes it, or maybe started all over with it, and then reformed it. And the implications of that to Jeremiah are incredible. And he says, Jeremiah, you need to understand that I'm the potter. And here's what I would say to you and I. We forget that sometimes. We forget that God's the potter. God has a right to do what he wants in and through our lives. You and I can sit here and question. I can ask a hundred things. Kelly, how come you put two handles on it? Kelly, how come it's brown? I think it would be better in my house if it was red or blue. Kelly, I don't understand the lines on it, you know, because, you know, the lines are kind of crooked and they kind of take away from it. I can criticize this pot all day long. But you know what? I wasn't the potter. 
Kelly was a potter. And sometimes when we ask God, God, what are you doing in my life? Why? I don't understand. D, 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 D. God's the potter. He has a right to design and shape the pot however he wants to design and shape the pot. He has a right to do what he wants to do in our lives. And, and God's trying to get this across to Jeremiah. The implications, the lessons for that are just like huge. And we'll talk about that in a minute when we wrap it up. But that's the first trip to the potter's house, a very simple principle, but a profound one. Now, when the people start hearing Jeremiah talking like stuff like this, they, they are not happy. They actually plot against him. The last chap- part of chapter 18 is fascinating because Jeremiah gets ticked. Because they start saying, you know what, here's how we'll get Jeremiah. We need to shut the guy up. We're tired of listening to him. We keep listening to him. All he keeps doing is, is, is bad-mouthing us, telling us how horrible things are going to be, and things are pretty good right now. So we need to shut him up. So they try to use his own words against him. It's interesting. Jeremiah prays for the people until we get to about chapter 18, and Jeremiah starts saying, God, wipe them out. Because they're talking about me now. It was fine when they were talking about you, but now they're talking about me, and I want them gone. And it's interesting. You know what? God doesn't answer Jeremiah's pleas. God just listens. And I think that's so great about God. You and I have the opportunity to really tell God how we feel, and God just sits and listens, and then he'll work in our hearts and lives to change our attitudes toward that which is what he wants for us. But in this story, he looks at me and he says, okay, it's a pot. I want you to go down, and I want you to watch the potter. Because, Jeremiah, that's me, and I'm working here. You don't get it, but I'm working. But I've come to a point, Jeremiah, where my people, I'm trying to rework it, my people won't respond. So we get to chapter 19, a little bit longer chapter. Let me read it, and then some of this will start to click, and it'll make sense. Here we go, chapter 19. This is what the Lord says. Now go and buy a clay jar from the potter. So now he goes, okay, we're going to take a sad trip down there, but this time I want you to buy something. And the women are going, yes, see, God wants me to shop. No. <laughs> go buy a clay jar from the potter. Take along some of the elders of the people and the priests. Go out to the valley of Ben-Hinnon. Ah, see, it makes sense. Near the entrance of the potcher gate. What does that mean? That means that they take the clay jar the pieces that were busted up, and they would take it out, and they would haul it, and they would dump it out there. So now you got a whole bunch of busted up pots out there too. Going to be important in a second. And he goes on to say, and proclaim the words that I tell you, and say. Now this is what you're supposed to say, Jeremiah. Now again, notice what he says. I want you to take along the elders and the priests. I want you to take along all the spiritual leaders there, and this is what I want you to tell them. And Jeremiah's life is going to change drastically in chapter 20. That's why we're going to spend a whole week on it next week. But here's what he says. And say, hear the word of the Lord, O kings of people of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Listen, I'm going to bring disaster on this place, and I will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. They have forsaken me. They've made this place a, foreign, a place of foreign gods. They have burned sacrifices in it to gods that neither they nor their fathers nor the kings of Judah ever knew. They filled this place with the blood of the innocent. They have built the high places of Baal to burn their sons in the fire as offerings to Baal, something I didn't command or mention, nor did I even enter my mind. So beware, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the people will no longer call this place Topath or the Valley of Ben-Hinnon, but the Valley of Slaughter. He says, you take them out to the Hinnon Valley, you let them stand there, and you let them look at where they worship Moloch, and you let them look at that garbage dump, and you need to know this is going to become the place of slaughter. And he goes on. And he says, uh, next, guys. In, it, in this place, I will ruin the plans of, plans of Judah and Jerusalem. Um, quick note. 
See where he says, I will ruin the plans of Jerusalem and Judah? It's a very interesting word. The word in Hebrew is tied to the word that we get the word jar from. Here's, here's how we would say it in English. Remember, he's got, a, he's got a pot that he bought, a jar. And he's standing there with that jar, and he says, basically, God is going to jar your plans. You think everything's fine. God's going to throw a monkey wrench in this whole thing. And he goes on. And he says, I will make them fall by the sword before their enemies at the hands of those who seek their life. I will gather their carcasses as food to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. I will devastate the city. I will make it an object of scorn. All who pass by will be appalled. They will scoff at it because of all its wounds. I will make them eat the flesh of their sons and daughters. They will eat one another's flesh during the stress of the siege imposed on them by the enemies who seek their lives. We know historically one of the things that happens is when Nebuchadnezzar's army comes over, they come around and they surround the city and they siege it. They don't allow anybody in and out. The people have stuff to eat for a while, but then they run out of stuff to eat. Ultimately, what happens in the city of Jerusalem, in this city that says, we don't need God, we've got all of our scarecrows and other stuff, we're on our own, we're fine, they turn to actually cannibalism and eating their children. That's how horrible this is. That's why I say they can't tell that on the Bible TV series. They, by the way, they allude to it and they reference it, but they can't show it. And here was a group of people who thought, we don't need God. We're doing fine. Everything's fine. But God said, look, judgment is coming. Jeremiah is telling you about it. Change so it doesn't have to come. And then he goes on. And he says in the next uh, passage, then break the jar while those who go with you are watching. And say to them, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I will smash this nation and this city just as this potter's jar is smashed. It cannot be repaired. They will bury the dead in towpath until there's no more room. This is, what the Lord, this is what I will do to this place and those who live here, declares the Lord. I will make this city like towpath. That's where they worship Moloch. It was now a garbage dump, about ready to become the valley of slaughter. The houses in Jerusalem and those of the kings of Judah will be defiled like this place, towpath. All the houses where they burned incense on the roofs of the starry host and poured out drink offerings to other gods. He said, Jeremiah, this thing's going to be leveled, and what I want you to do is I want you to illustrate this. So here's what Jeremiah does. He goes and he buys a coffee cup, a jar, and he says, then he walks to the valley of Hinnon. That day, here's probably what he would have done. He would have been standing there, preached this message, taking this thing and throwing it as hard as he could up against a rock, and that thing would have shattered into a million pieces with all of the other busted up pieces laying there on the ground. And the people are going, first of all, two things would have happened. First of all, they'd been going, well, there ain't nothing you can do about that. Ain't putting that one back together. Secondly, remember I told you they worship false gods? One of the things, now Jeremiah didn't do it for this reason, but I'm sure this is probably what happened. One of the beliefs was that when you did something symbolic like that, you unleashed the evil of your God. So there are some that believed in that symbolic act. What Jeremiah had done was unleashed the power and the evil, if you will, of God upon them. So now they are really ticked. And by the way, we'll read in chapter 20 just how ticked they are. But Jeremiah takes his cup, and so for sake of illustration this morning, because you, you know you can talk about it, but until you see it, um, here we go. For those of you who were shop teachers. <laughs> and he busts this thing into a gazillion little pieces. Oh, I don't want to get too much on the carpet. 
All right? Oh, man, now it's, okay. And he busts this thing into a gazillion little pieces like this. And now this is what they're looking at, this pot that he bought. This is what he's looking at. And they're going, guys, this is what God's going to do to you. If you don't turn around and you don't repent and you don't change, this is what's coming. And so now these people are going, really? Jeremiah, don't you get it? Things are going good. We don't need you listening to all this stuff. We're okay. And Jeremiah says, no, you don't understand. You've turned and rejected the living God, and he's drawn a line, and you're about ready to cross it, and you're not getting it. And their response, we'll see next week, their response basically is, we got to get rid of this guy. We got to shut him up, and that's what they try and do. Great chapters, a lot of really cool lessons from it. Um, here we go. Let's pull out a couple for us this week. Um, first lesson. First lesson that I think we, we've got to remember is this idea that God is the potter. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. If God's the potter and God is working in my life, when am I closest to him? Yeah. When he's forming, shaping, molding, doing things in my life. Even when a potter sits back to look at a piece and spin it on a he's got it's got his attention. So he can look at it and he goes, you know what? I need to fix that little spot right there. I cut myself doing that. Can you believe that? Um, Trying not to get blood on my suit. We'll be good. Uh, in that case, what happens is God is shaping and God is molding. And God says, you know what? They need to be a little more kind. So I'm going to try to mold some things to make them a little more kind. You know what? I think they need to be a little more forgiving. So, you know, that's kind of a thing. Let's see if we can shape that and mold that out in their life. You know, I think they need to do things a little, they need to treat their spouse a little better. Now, here's the thing. If we respond to what God is doing, then God doesn't have to smash that section and start all over. But when we become immovable and God goes, man, that's not working, you know, I'm trying, by the way, God's primary purpose, you know what God's primary focus in our lives when we do wrong is? New Testament says the goodness of God leads to repentance. The first thing God does is bring good things into your life. But too many times we look at that as, well, you know, God didn't hit me upside the head with a baseball bat, I guess it's okay. And so what God does is, you know, the goodness of God leads repentance. I'm, you know, I'm trying to bless them. I'm trying to do neat things in their life, but they're just not getting it. So I love them. Got to change it. I guess you're going to have to bring something a little different into their lives. You know, I want them to be more faithful in church, but they're kind of not doing that. So maybe I need to bring a little difficulty in their life so they understand that they need me. You know, they're not treating their spouse right. Maybe I need to change some things that way. You know, they're not, they really don't appreciate the job that I've given them. So maybe I need to make things a little tougher there. 
And God molds and shapes. Why? Because he is constant contact as the potter trying to make us into what he wants us to be. And you can sit back and say, God, I don't like what you're doing. That's okay. But he's the potter. And you say, God, I wish you would have made me red. Okay. God, I, would have, I wish you would have like put three handles on me so everybody would really notice me. Okay, but he's the potter. And you know what? Here's what I've learned in 50 some odd years of life. The potter really does know best. You just got to learn to trust him. And when he works something into your life and he wants you to change something, that's the best time to change it. Because sooner or later, he's going to work to change it. And by the way, he does it in the life of the children of Israel. He sends them into captivity. They come to a point that they cry out to God and God lets them go back in. But they pay a terrible price for it. The other thing you need to understand is this. If you don't respond to what God is doing, then God's going to have to do something else because that doesn't work. You know, I've often said sometimes, I think, I think in essence we teach God how to get through to us. You know, think about it for a minute. If the only time you're close to God is when there's a crisis in your life, what are you telling God? Hey, God, if you want me close, man, just create a crisis and I'll be there for you. Well, why not just be close to him all the time? You know, but, you know, when, when is it, you know, when is it that, that, that you get serious about your finances? When all of a sudden it's all falling apart? Then what are you saying? Okay, God, keep my finances all falling apart. And hey, I'll really get serious about my finances. We teach God some of those things. Because the potter's job is to make us into what he wants, us to, what he wants to make us into. So he's going to work that way. He's the potter. I think the other lesson from this passage is simply this. God's got a line. God gave Israel a long time to come back to him. God did a lot of things to bring Israel back. But Israel kept saying, no, 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 no. I think the lesson of the Bible is that all Israel had to do at any moment was say, God, we want to come back to you, and they would have never faced that. Never. You see that in the life of Jonah. You see that in the book of Jonah. Jonah walks into a a city. He wants to see them wiped out. He preaches an eight-word sermon in Hebrew. The entire city repents, and they get saved, and God says, fine, I'm not going to destroy them. Jonah's so ticked, he goes, sits up on a mountain and says, okay, God, I just want to see you do it anyway. And God spares Nineveh. Why? Because they repented. And God said, Israel, all I want you to do, Judah, all I want you to do is come back to me, and you won't have to experience that. But, But understand this, Judah, I have a line. And once, that, once you get to that line, Judah, there is no coming back. There is no second chance after that line. And they go into captivity until they get so frustrated with the captivity, they cry out to God, and they cry, and they cry, and they cry, and God hears their pleas, and then a small remnant goes back, book of Ezra and Nehemiah. And they try to make it a go of it again because they've learned. But God has a line. Hear me. I talk to a lot of people who think God's a loving God, and God is. Don't, 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 don't think for a minute God is not a loving God. God is a God of grace, mercy, love, truth, justice. God will do everything in your life 
to mold and shape you so you put your faith and trust in him. He will bring all kinds of circumstances so that you become his vessel. But if you continually reject, one day you will take your last breath, your heart will beat for its last time, and you have reached God's line. And if you think you can look at God on that day after living a lifetime of saying no to him and go, hey, God, give me one more chance, then you haven't read your Bible. It's what the rich man cries out. God, give me one more chance. God says, no. You know what his next cry is? Then let me go back and tell my brothers. You know what God says? No, let me tell you something. Your brothers already have somebody telling them they're not listening. That's their responsibility. I'm not going to let you go back. And I'm here to tell you, God is a God of love, but God has a line. And when you take your last breath and you stand before God, there's not going to be a second chance. There is not going to be an opportunity then to go, oh, I want to change now. Until your heart beats the last time, until you take your last breath, you have that chance. You have God's love and God's mercy extended to any one of us. A dying thief on the cross who could never go to church, give a dime, get baptized, or do anything else is in heaven today simply because he put his faith and trust in Christ that's all it took. And God says, look, if you're going to spend a lifetime rejecting me, then you need to know I have a line. And if you die without Christ, you will face judgment. You will face God who says, what would you do with me? Well, God, it's like, you know, I heard a lot of preaching, and I should have done stuff, but I just didn't think it was that important, and I didn't really believe it, because, like, I had this, I had, I had kind of my scarecrow idol way all figured out. I, God, you need to understand, God, yeah, I know, I know that my life looks like this and, and, and all of that, but, God, I just didn't want to, you know, God, I you understand, the, 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 but, God, I just didn't, give me one more chance. Depart from me. I don't know you. It is a serious message. God doesn't mess around. You go, well, I can't believe that God would like do that. I can't, let me tell you something. God loved us enough that he sent his son to the cross. And if you reject him, you really think a God of justice, holiness, and righteousness is going to look at you and say, <clears throat> yeah, come on in looking like this. No, he's not. He's going to look at you and say, have you been washed in the blood of the Lamb? Do you have on the righteousness of Christ? Did you put on Jesus Christ? Is he your Lord and Savior? If he is, welcome. And if he's not, I don't even know who you are. I would love to be, stand up here this morning and preach you a message of happy, happy, happy. I love Duck Dynasty. It started a new series this year, it's, this week. It's so great. Anyway, <laughs> I would love to preach, preach you constantly that message. But the reality of it is, Jeremiah spent 40 years trying to get people to get this, and they don't. And Jerusalem is going to be destroyed, and they're going to turn to cannibalism, and they're going to be throwing bodies in the Valley of Hinnon, and for years, 
Go back through and look at history. For years, Jerusalem is a byword. Nobody cares or pays any attention to Jerusalem because it is so devastated. Why? Because they said, we don't need God. We got it figured out by ourselves. And God sends this guy to come along and say, look, listen, by the way, next week's going to be great. You know why? Because we're going to talk about what the people, how the people responded to him. A message like that. A message like that. And you're going, man, yeah, why wouldn't they get it? Because they didn't listen to the message, and they decided to get even with the messenger. I don't preach this because I think it's fun preaching. I preach this because this is what God says. And I am responsible for teaching the whole counsel of God. And I beg you with everything in my being, while God is at work in your life right now trying to get you to put your faith and trust in him, do it. Because if you don't, the only alternative is this for eternity. I don't want to see you go this route. And Jeremiah did not want to see Israel go the route they went. But God had no choice because they wouldn't respond. And if you reject him your entire life, he has no choice because he's a God of justice. He's a God of justice. So my prayer for you this week is twofold. For those of you who never put your faith and trust in Christ, that you do that. He's a God of love, grace, mercy. He offers you salvation. won't cost you a dime. Cost him everything. He offers it freely to everyone. He wants to be your Lord and Savior. He wants to be your heavenly father. But he won't force it on you to your call. For those of you who are Christians, I don't know what's going on in your life right now, but I do know this. God's the potter. He's molding and shaping you. He's trying to develop you into that which can honor and glorify him every day. So sometimes there's things that come in your life where you don't like maybe the direction God's going, but that's okay. God will use it. But in the end, even if we look like this, God says, I'm proud of it. That's what I wanted. Just like Kelly who said, Mom, I don't know. I'm thinking Kelly was like three. Okay? But Kelly walked in one day and said, Mom, Dad, look at what I made. And you know what? You know as well as I do. Any mom or dad said what? Oh, that's the most beautiful thing in the world. I made my parents, I, w- I think I still have it somewhere. I made my parents an ashtray in the shape of a Mexican sombrero with Mexico tied on it. And my parents thought that was the coolest thing in the world. Nobody in our house smokes. <laughs> but we have a Mexico sombrero ashtray that I made. Why? Because I was the potter. Let God work in your life. He doesn't make mistakes. 
and he does know what's best.